Mark 3, 20 through 35. So, hello everyone again. I'll say it again. I'm Daniel Eckberg. Last week, if any of you guys were at prayer night, I was not there because I was down in Kentucky with Pastor Gabe and Pastor Alex and Matthew Blinquist and some of the high schoolers at Cross Conference, and it was really fun. It was a missions conference, so we got to learn about our job as Christians to bring the gospel to those who have never heard it. If people don't hear the, don't hear the gospel, they can't be saved. So it's our duty to go to there or to help the people who are going there, help the missionaries. And that reminds me of, we have missionaries, people that Redeemer Church sent over to India a couple years ago called named Paul and Mala Uparaj. And they've done a lot of things there. They planted a church. But one thing specific that's very memorable when you hear about what they've done is that in India, it's a society where little girls, when they're born, are not valued. And so when they're born, they're a lot of times just cast out on the streets to die or maybe to be enslaved and just abused for the rest of their lives. So what Paul and Mala have done, if you look at a picture of their family, it's huge. They have taken these girls from this life of slavery or just death and suffering and brought them into their family. And the biblical words for that, there's, there's 19 daughters they've adopted basically. The biblical words for that are redemption and adoption. Bringing from slavery and death, bringing into the family, adoption. Redemption and adoption. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about how Jesus redeemed us. Jesus adopted us into his family. So I've got three points tonight. Just about how God sent the Father, sent his son to become a slave with us so he could bring us out of slavery into his family. And it's a beautiful truth. We'll see how it's true, and then how we respond to it in our lives as we live in family together. We've got the three points. Don't reject Jesus. Don't reject Jesus. Receive him as your redeemer and older brother and enjoy your new family. Don't reject Jesus. Receive him as your redeemer and older brother and enjoy your new family. So let's read our text. Mark three twenty through 35. Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. So this is after he'd appointed his 12 disciples. And they'd been, he'd been getting really popular. Lots of people were coming and he was healing people. Demons were falling down and crying out, you're the son of God. And now he's like, I'm tired. I need to go home and eat. But when he went home, a crowd gathered again. They could not even eat. And it says, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. But they were saying, he is out of his mind. He's insane. And then now switches over to another story. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him, those scribes, and said to them in parables. Parables are like little stories that communicate the truth. How can Satan cast out Satan? He showed them how silly they are for saying something like that. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And verse 25, and if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. So he says, that's why you're silly, but here's, what, here's why I'm really doing the miracles. He gives another parable. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And we'll see what that means later. Then he gives him a warning. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. 
for they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now it goes back to his family again. It's called a Markin sandwich. Family, family, and then scribes in the middle. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, this is verse 31, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Who are my mother and my brothers? And then he looks at those around, sitting around him and he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. So, so far, in Mark's gospel, we have seen, this. we're at a first point now, don't reject Jesus. So far in Mark's gospel, we've seen chapter 1, Jesus came to bring the kingdom. He was proclaiming the gospel, casting out demons, healing people, teaching with authority. And he was getting popular. So many people were following after him. But then in Mark 2, people start to oppose him, start to reject him. Matthew, Scott and I preached on Mark 1. Matthew preached on how Jesus healed the paralytic, but the Pharisees were like, or the scribes said, you, you can't forgive sins. And then later, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And they say, don't eat with tax collectors and sinners. And then later, his disciples weren't fasting. And they said, why aren't your disciples not fasting? They kept opposing him. There's five stories in chapter 2. One about the Sabbath after the fasting one. And then finally, the fifth story is in 3, 1 through 6. So look at your Bibles, because I'm pointing at your Bible. It won't make sense if you're not looking at them. It is, they're just five stories about Jesus being opposed and then answering them with wisdom. And the last one's in Mark 3, 1 through 6. And in it, Jesus comes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And there's a man with a withered hand. And the scribes are not like, man, we really want this guy to be healed. He's suffered from this withered hand. They're thinking, what's Jesus going to do so we can accuse him? They're hardened against him. And so when Jesus asks them, Is what's good? To save life or to kill? They're silent. And it says in verse 5, chapter 3, He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Their hearts are hard. They're rejecting Jesus. And he heals the man with a withered hand. And what did they do? Verse 6. The Pharisees went out and they believed Jesus and they loved him. And they're like, he's the son of God and the Messiah. Nope, they did not do that. They did not do what we should do. It says they went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. And so then the cycle repeats. Um, verse 7, Jesus is really popular again. Crowds are coming to him from everywhere. And then just like he called the fishermen to be fishers of men in chapter 1, now he's calling us the 12, saying, you guys are going to be my disciples. I'm, you're going to be with me, and I'm going to send you out to have authority to cast out demons and preach. And so he's really busy. And then again, just like before, he was popular and opposed and rejected. Now we're getting to another story of him being rejected. And so... Mark, the author, is trying to make a point. God's trying to make a point that when you hear the gospel, when you see something as glorious as Jesus doing all these miracles and teaching with such wisdom, some respond with joy and faith. Others reject him with hard hearts. So don't reject Jesus. And so we're going to see. First, look at verses 20 and 21 in chapter 3 in our text. He went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Jesus cares for them. And so when they come, even though he wants to eat, he needs to eat because he's a human. He makes a sacrifice and he begins teaching them the word because he loves people. He knows they need the gospel. But what does his family do? When, as soon as they hear about it, they say he is out of his mind. And then they go out to seize him. They're like, we need to bring him back and lock him in a room until he, he is sorted out. So 
his family, those whom he would love the most, his, whose opinions he'd care about the most, they think he's insane. But now move on, and you've got the scribes. Verse 22. They came down from Jerusalem and were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and as they clarify that, by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. They're saying, you know, he's doing all these miracles, he's casting out demons. He's not doing it by some divine power or God's power. He's doing it by satanic power. That's what they're saying. And so now you've got his family first opposed him. Now it's the religious leaders. That would be like Pastor John on Sunday trying to tell everyone that lies about how you have done all these evil things so that everyone would hate you. They're rejecting him. So Jesus was rejected. Jesus was rejected. And by his family and by the religious leaders, the two people you would not want to be rejected by. <laughs> and the people who should have been most likely to receive him. So it just shows how sinful human hearts are. How sinful your heart and my heart is. And how dangerous we are also have this tendency, this dangerous tendency to reject Jesus, who's our only savior. So how does Jesus respond? Is it reasonable for them to say that he's casting out demons by the power of demons, by the power of Satan? He says, he called, verse 23, he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And then verse 26, and if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. He's just telling them, why would Satan, he's not dumb. He's not dumb. Why would he be fighting against his own kingdom? It's clear that when I'm casting out demons, Satan's power is being destroyed. It's clear that when I'm teaching with wisdom, the truth is destroying his lies. Why would, I, why would Satan be the one empowering me? That's ridiculous. And so it shows. Notice, they didn't say he's not actually doing miracles. It's just all fake. It was obvious. Jesus was doing miracles with divine power, supernatural power. They just tried to give it a different explanation of it. And Jesus says, that's a silly explanation. You're just trying to rationalize, reason away what's the clear truth that's confronting you. And that's a danger that all of us, we have sinful hearts. We try to, try to explain away the truth, try to suppress it so that we don't have to repent, so that we don't have to submit to God. So he says that's a wrong reason. And he says, here's what's actually the reason behind my miracles. It's not me. It's not Satan casting out Satan. I'm the Messiah, the Son of God, who's coming to destroy the kingdom of Satan. I'm coming to bind the strong man and plunder his goods. And so we'll talk about that more later. But he's just saying, your rejection of me is silly. And then moving on with this point of rejection, it says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But, so whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So, this is the text, a passage in scripture that's really hard to understand for a lot of people. So, I don't have a lot of time for it, but I'm just going to do, just going to say a couple of things before we move on to our next things. So, two questions. What is the unforgivable sin? And what if I've committed it? Have I committed it? I'm going to quote, so, so if you just look at your passage, notice that Jesus is saying, we, we've seen how hard the Pharisees' hearts were. They saw all the truth, 
It was so clear to them with Jesus' miracles and his wise teaching, but they hated him. And they loved their sins, so they continued to reject him, even though it was obvious that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And so J.C. Ryle, a pastor like 200 years ago, he makes a really good summary of what this sin probably is. He says, The most probable view is that it's a combination of clear intellectual knowledge of the gospel with deliberate rejection of it and willful choice of sin. It is a union of light in the head and hatred in the heart. So you have the clear knowledge of the gospel, but you hate God so much you will reject it and do anything you can to make it look evil. And this is obvious with the Pharisees. They so hated and opposed Christ that the more evidence was presented to them, the more their hearts were enraged and hardened against him and determined to kill and destroy him. It climaxed in them calling the Holy Spirit an an unclean spirit and the spirit of God by which Christ did these works, the spirit of the devil. It showed that they were utterly opposed and hardened to the gospel and were committed to continuing in deliberate sin. So, another question is, have I committed it? That's been a question that's hurt so many people and worried so many people. How do we know whether we've committed it or not? I had a quote, but it's very long, so I'm just going to summarize. If you're worried that you've committed the unforgivable sin, that shows you're not at all like the Pharisees. Because their hearts were totally hardened. They would not have been worried if they committed it. And that's what people have answered in the church for thousands of years. So, it's good to be sensitive about sin. Good to be worried if you have committed a sin like this. But if you are worried, I have not committed it. It's still a danger. Do not harden your hearts. Maybe you haven't committed it now, but if you keep hardening your hearts when you hear the gospel, or when, when God confronts you with your sin, maybe it will reach that point, just like it did with the Pharisees. And he's not saying they did commit it yet, but he's saying they were getting really close to it. So it's a warning to all of us. Don't reject Jesus. Don't harden your hearts even now when you hear the gospel. It's not just a sin that happens in a moment. It's a deliberate rejection of what's obvious truth because we love our sin. And the reason it's unforgivable is because it's so hard to your heart that you'll never repent. And if you never repent, you'll never be forgiven. God gives us up to our sins if we choose our sin over him. So don't be like the Pharisees. Remember, they didn't deny the clear facts of what Jesus did and who he revealed himself to be. They didn't reject the truth about him because they, there were no credible reasons to do so. It, they did it because they did not want to submit to him. And maybe it was secret sins they wanted to hold on to. Or they did not want to step out of their religious spotlight because of their pride. What keeps you from believing in Jesus? I want you to think about that. What keeps you from believing in Jesus? Or what keeps you from repenting of those specific sins in your life? Why do you keep holding on to them? Why do you keep making excuses not to believe in him or, ex- or excuses for not confessing your sin, not forsaking it, and not repenting, which means to turn away from it and run in the opposite direction, not repenting of your certain sins in your life? Maybe you've said, I, I know we're, we're supposed to follow Jesus, but I don't really want to do that now. I just want to have fun now. I'll repent later. You don't know that you'll repent later. Every time you harden your heart against the gospel, it just gets harder and harder, like Plato. Every time you get it out to play with it, it gets a little harder until it reaches a point you just can't do anything with it anymore. And that's when you're unforgivable because you'll never repent again. 
You cannot guarantee you'll have a chance to repent again. Now is a chance to repent. Don't let sin take over. Don't harden your heart. Are there sins in your heart that the Holy Spirit convicts you of every Wednesday and every Sunday that you continue to hold on to instead of receiving Jesus' forgiveness and power to overcome them? These sins promise you freedom, but they are actually enslaving you. They promise to make you happy, but they will make you miserable. If not in this life, then for all eternity. You have a chance now. God freely offers you forgiveness right now. So repent while you still have a chance. And so, so far we've seen, don't reject Jesus. If you do harden your heart, he might give you up to your sin so that your heart's completely hardened. But the God who's a judge who gives us up to our sin is also a merciful savior. He's also a merciful savior. So that if you turn to him right now, no matter how often you've hardened your heart in the past, he will forgive you. If you believe in him, if you trust in him and call out to him to save you, he will forgive you. And that's our next point. Don't reject Jesus, but receive him as your redeemer and older brother. So for this next point, we're just going to look at verses 27 and 28. Jesus talks about redemption, how he's our redeemer, and about adoption. He's our older brother. Verses 27 and 28. So redemption has two elements. Jesus, and when he redeems us, when he's our redeemer, he delivers us from Satan's power and he forgives all our sins. So first look at verse 27. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house. Who's the strong man, everybody? Who's the strong man? Is it? It's not Jesus. It's his enemy. Who's his enemy? Satan. No one can enter a strong man's house. So no one can enter Satan's house and plunder his goods unless he first finds a strong man. Satan, then indeed he may plunder his house. What do you guys think his house is? So the realm over which Satan has authority, what is that? Hell. Um, he doesn't have authority over hell. That's where he's going to be punished. He's called Hunter. Earth? Yeah, Earth, the world. This fallen, sinful world, Satan's called the god of this world, the ruler of this world. So Satan's the strong man. His house represents the world. What do you think his goods are? Things that he has control over. Jack. Us. Us. Yes. If we have not believed in Christ, we are Satan's goods. He has complete control over us. And Jesus is saying, you can't get the goods out of the strong man's house. You can't deliver slaves or prisoners out of the powerful guard's prison until you take out that, that guard, that strong man. So he's saying, this is what's happening. Whenever I cast out miracles or whenever I cast out demons, it's me showing Look at pointing forward to what I'm going to do at the cross. I'm going to destroy Satan's power. I'm going to bind him and throw him into a pit, and then I'm going to plunder his house. I'm going to take sinners and slaves to sin, and I'm going to bring them out from Satan's power into my kingdom. John 12, 32 and 33, I think it says, Now the ruler of this world is cast out, and I, when I'm lifted up from the world on the cross, will draw all men to myself. That's what he's saying he's going to do right here. I'm going to cast out Satan like I cast out all the demons. He's going to have no more power over your lives. And then I'm going to draw people to myself to believe in me. So he's saying, I'm going to redeem you by delivering you from the power of Satan. And secondly, by forgiving your sins. 
Look at verse 28. We, we always kind of ignore this verse because 29 comes after and it's this kind of scary verse. But 28 is such a sweet verse. Truly I say to you, some sins... Wait, it doesn't say that. What does it say? All. All. What does it say? Say it again. All. All sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Sins are any ways in which you fall short of obeying God, of, of his standard. And blasphemies are when you speak evil about God or about other people. And he says, not some, but all sins, every type of sin. The sins that you do in your mind when you have evil thoughts or the evil desires you have in your heart or the evil things you say to people or about people, the evil actions you do when you hurt people or harm them. He says, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. Sinful people, I'll forgive you. Whatever blasphemies you utter, Jesus' mercy is abundant. He says, I'll forgive all sins. And so take that verse, and if there's a, there's a sin in your life, you think it's impossible that God could ever forgive. I know he can forgive other sins, but not this one. Jesus says, actually, I'll forgive all sins. All sins. You can bring it to me. Your sins might be great. My mercy is greater. So Jesus is our redeemer. He delivered us from the power of Satan and he forgives all our sins by dying on the cross. His, what looked like the greatest defeat in the world's eyes was where he conquered sin and death, where he conquered Satan. And then he bore the penalty for your sins on the cross so that you could be forgiven. And he rose again to offer life to you, to offer forgiveness and mercy to you. Jesus is our strong redeemer. He's also, so a good analogy for this, for this strong man is, anyone watch Avengers, Marvel Avengers? Do you guys like that movie? Back before they got terrible. Um, in the beginning of that story, of that movie, there's this scene where they're like underground in this little bunker scientific lab thing, and there's a portal, and then everything starts exploding, and then Loki comes in, and he shoots everything, and then, he goes to Hawkeye, and somehow he gets his heart, and he goes, puts up his scepter to it, and then Hawkeye goes, whoa. And he becomes a slave of Loki. Then he goes to Dr. Eric Selvig, the scientist guy, goes, and he goes, and he becomes a slave of Loki. And so that's like what Satan did. He entered into the Garden of Eden, you know, to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he enslaved us to sin by his lies, just like Loki's a liar. Let's fast forward to the end of the story. What happens? Hulk comes in. Loki's like, I will not be bullied by a beast. And then he just smacks him on the ground. He binds the strong man. Loki might have been very strong and enslaved them, but Hulk was stronger. Jesus is our strong redeemer. And at the end of that story, Hawkeye is no longer a slave of Satan. And Dr. Eric Selvig is no longer... Oh, Loki. I meant Loki. <laughs> Dr. Eric Selvig no longer a slave of Loki. They've been freed. Jesus does that. He frees us from Satan's power, just like Hulk destroyed Loki. And then he forgives all our sins. He is also our older brother. And so we'll go to verse 31 through 35. It says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And then he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about, those who sat around him said, Behold, here are my mother and my brothers. 
For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Back in those days, when you think about brotherly relationships to the rest of their siblings, you think of love and commitment, and you think of riches and the inheritance. So brothers, the oldest brother, he would get all the inheritance, and the purpose was that he would provide for all his other siblings. And he, he would love his siblings too. So when, God, when Jesus says, I'm your brother, he's saying two things. He's saying, I love you, and I care about you. You're my family. And he's saying in this verse, his family's trying to lay claim on him, and he says, what's more important to me, who I love even more than my earthly family, is whoever does the will of God. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ and, and loves God and obeys him. So Jesus is saying that of you. If you believe in Jesus, if you delight to obey him, he says, you're my brother and I love you. He also says, I've received an inheritance from my father because he's a perfect son and I'm going to give it all to you. Heaven is his inheritance. He offers it freely to us. That's what it means that he's our brother. He's our older brother. And even in, like today, um, when we think about our brothers, I know when I was younger, I might have been a mean brother sometimes. Say mean things to people or my, my younger brother and hurt him and do bad things. But if someone else came up and was bullying my brother, I'd be like, how dare you? Only I can do that, you know? <laughs> and I'd get angry and I'd get protective and I'd say, you do not touch my younger brother. Only I do that. And so that's because I'm partly evil and partly good. <laughs> Jesus is a perfect brother. He is a perfect brother. And so when you... Yeah, we know in our culture that if someone's bullying us or picking on us, we can go to our older brother and he will protect us. When Satan and sin come to pick on us with temptations and suffering, we can just run to our older brother, Jesus Christ, and he will come together with our father and beat up Satan for us. As James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We've got a strong and loving older brother, a strong redeemer, stronger than Hulk, destroyed Satan's power, and a loving brother. We can go to him. He gives us heaven. He loves us. He laid down his life for us. And whenever we need, we can go to him. He'll help us. So if you're suffering right now, you can go to Jesus. If you're tempted by sin, you can go to Jesus. Yeah. He is a perfect savior. So Jesus is our redeemer and our brother. So the point here is just rest in his love. Rejoice that you've been called into his family. Through death, Jesus has destroyed Satan's power so that you no longer need to be slaves to sin and held in the shackles of his lies. Jesus shed his blood on the cross to forgive your sins and save you from death. He left his father's house to enter our slavery in order, to forever, in order that we might forever experience his love as beloved children. He assures us of our eternal inheritance and he is our older brother who we can call upon whenever Satan or sin or suffering seeks to bully us. He's always ready to help with power and love. Jesus is our redeemer and brother. So why would you reject someone like that? Why would you reject someone like that? Or why would you think that sin is better than him? Don't harden your hearts, but receive him. Reject sin and Satan, and you will find that he is all that he promised to be and better than you can ever imagine. Don't reject Jesus. Receive him as your redeemer and older brother, and finally, enjoy your new family. We see in verses 31 through 35, Jesus says, here's my brothers and sisters and mothers. My true family is not Mary 
and you know, Judas and James and whoever his other brothers were. My true family is whoever does the will of God. So Jesus is saying, just like the Uvarajas, they not only saved them from death and slavery and suffering, they also bring them into a new family of lots of people, lots of joy and love. Jesus is saying, I'm bringing you into a new family too. So it's a great privilege for us. We've got new duties and new opportunities as we're part of this family. We're called to enjoy our new family by loving and by being loved by one another. So I have just a couple of points I'm going to make from the text before we are done. The first is, if you're part of this new family, then love your brothers and sisters. If you look at Jesus in verses 34 and 35, you can see that he preferred his brothers and sisters in the church over his earthly family or any other relationships. That is beautiful, isn't it? Jesus would rather spend time with you and me than with the best athlete or the most hilarious comedian, the most beautiful woman or the most intelligent teacher or most powerful ruler. Jesus loves his church family. He loves those who love his father. Psalm 119.63 says, I'm a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. Jesus says, if you obey God, if you love him, if you believe in him, you're my friend. I love you. You're my brother. So, Let's be like Jesus. Do you love the church more than any other people? God says that if we have been born again into his family, then we will love him and love our brothers. And if we don't love our church family, it probably means we've not been born again and are not a member of that family. Don't call God your father if you are not willing to call believers your brothers and sisters and truly love and serve them. George John 5.1 says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that means you've been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever, whoever has been born of him. So, I'm just saying that because there's a lot of people who think, well, I love God and I believe in Jesus, but I don't like the church. I, I just, you know, have my own private relationship with Jesus, my personal relationship with him. I don't like the church. Jesus says, you can't call God your father and me your brother if you're not going to accept all the people whom I love, my family. They might have lots of warts and they're ugly and, you know, annoying in some ways, but they're my people. They're my brothers and sisters. I love them. I want you to love them. So they should have priority in our love. Second, we, we love our brothers and sisters. We also love and obey our Father. In verse 35, he, how does he describe us? How does he describe his brothers, believers? He says, whoever does the will of God, whoever does the will of my Father, He's my brother and sister and mother. Doing the will of God is not what makes him love us. But anyone who truly knows God as Father will delight to do his will. Do you have a sincere desire to obey your Heavenly Father? Really consider this question. If you don't, then maybe that shows again, like before, that you've never really known him as Father and are not saved. So I say that because I want you to see that a true believer loves the church. Loves them because they love God and love Christ. And so if you don't love the church, if you don't love your brothers, maybe it shows you've never been a part of the family. But the good news is, God the Father still has the doors of his heart wide open. He always has. His heart is wide open for you to come and make a home. And Jesus still offers himself fully to you as a redeemer and a brother if you will take him for yourself. I'd love to call one of you today for the first time a brother or sister in Christ.
You can become a part of the family. You can become a brother of Christ or sister of Christ and a son or child of God. And there are so many other things we could talk about. If you're in the family, if you're going to live in a family, you've got to learn to forgive each other. You've got to learn to reconcile. And I've got to go to Mark eleven twenty-five 25 for that, but we're not going to. First Peter 4, 9 says, Above all, love one another earnestly for a pure heart, since love covers a multitude of sins. That implies that we're going to sin a lot in the family. And I've had many people who say in the last couple months, like four people I've talked to who don't like the church anymore, and they say, you know, they're just so mean to me. They didn't love me, and they're just, they're not willing to forgive them. It's like, are you expecting Christians to not, to just stop being sinners? We're still sinners. We need to learn to love each other, forgive. So, forgive others. And then, just the last point is, remember that what brings us together is not our hobbies or our sports or our skills or gifts. What brings us together is that we're part of one family. We share a common father, a common brother, a common salvation. So, when you're with other believers, don't spend all your time just doing the things you love like, or the things that are really fun for you, which are good. I like to do this too. I like to hang out, play basketball or dodgeball and things like that. But spend time talking about your father in heaven talking about the common salvation we have, encouraging one another. I have, I'll keep saying it. If we're truly a family, I could say this over and over again every week. If we're truly a family, that means our hands will often be in two positions. Forwards like this, holding out, I can't really do it. Like this, holding out a Bible. And then, like this, praying. Lifting up holy hands, it says in 1 Timothy 2, 8, to pray. That means when you are here at church, you're looking for people and you're asking, how are you doing? And then you're thinking, you're opening up your Bible and saying, thinking, how can I encourage them from God's word in the gospel and what he has done? So you're holding out your hands like this. I'd love to see that every Wednesday night, just, you know, 90 of you opening up your Bibles and talking to each other. And then after you're done talking, you say, how can I pray for you? And then you don't wait to go till you go home to pray. You pray right there and you lift up your hands. You put your other hand on their shoulder if they want, if they'll let you and you pray for them. Because we're family. We care for each other. And we, we speak to each other's deepest needs, our spiritual needs. And then finally, don't just stay in your little clicks. If you are all family, just like Jesus loves all of us as his brothers, even though we might not be cool or smart or beautiful, so we should also love the people who are not cool or smart or beautiful. Love the outcasts. Love them like you would want to be loved if you were on the outside. Invite your brothers and sisters into games or conversations if they look left out. Take a good look, a really good long look at the gracious love of Christ, our brother and redeemer. Rest in it, and then restlessly extend it to others. So remember the Yuvarajas. They went to redeem these little girls from death and slavery and anything else like that and bring them into their family. And Jesus did that for us. And he offers redemption to us. He offers us to join his family. Don't reject Jesus. Receive him as your redeemer and brother. And then enjoy your new family. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. It's so precious. Help us to obey it, to delighten it, to love it. And Lord, convict the hearts of students tonight. And as you speak to them by your spirit, don't let them harden their hearts. Help them to talk to the leaders tonight and work by your spirit to make us a group more characterized by love for one another, joy in Jesus, our Redeemer and brother. Lord, make us people 
Make us a family. Amen. Okay, guys, you can go to your groups. If you have any questions about things like the unforgivable sin, you can come and talk to me at any point tonight. I'll try to answer your questions. So, grace and peace.